Hello friends, welcome to episode 131 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? Ten minutes. That was good. I got some tea. I'm solid. It's more like 15, but we, yeah. had, a good, we, had, a, we had a good discussion. Yeah, we're, we're the ones with the microphones, they're not. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, if you are uh, just getting caught up on this one, um, uh, we are pre-recording this episode, so if you're listening to this uh, on the, the first Wednesday of November, uh, the, when it welcome is to November. originally airing, oh, first off, welcome to November, uh, but this is a pre-recorded show, uh, so there will be no live chat tonight or anything like that. Uh, we are recording this immediately after the previous episode you may have just listened to, uh, so if you are still listening to us live, thank you for sticking around. Yeah, we appreciate it. So, and we are continuing our our saga on villains on villains yes uh, and and moving from how to create them to how to like move them yeah what how, how, now that you've got them what do you do with them what what do they do in your story and what plots and yeah awfulness and, are they up to and i i feel like we're gonna this one's gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna say go longer but uh definitely is gonna have a lot more depth to it uh than our previous one whereas before we were kind of like framing things up and, and getting you what those characters are and now we've got to like integrate into story, mm-hmm. and that takes a lot more effort, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Then you, definitely. you know, some people can do it very easily, but we're going to try and explain it as best we know how and what some things we've done. Sure, sure. Um, so what do villains even do? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, they do evil stuff. Well, that's, um, that's great. It sounds pretty simple. But but I think the most important thing is is that um, villains have goals. Yes. Okay, villains, just like the PCs, have something they want to accomplish. They have a yeah. quest of their own that they're on. Um, no, mind you, that may be blow up the world. Yeah. Uh, that may um, they may want to drastically alter the status quo, like mm-hmm. overthrow leadership and install themselves, Change or how society film. works. You know exactly. Um, alter reality. T- typically <laughs> by controlling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, drastically alter how reality works. Yep. Typically by controlling it. You know yep. that's a lot of like I want to become a god. Yeah, you know, sort of plot lines of uh, like like hurting people who should be hurt. Yep, they want to hurt people who they believe should be yes. hurt, um, or or steal things that they believe should was be taken stolen. from them or should be taken. Yeah, for whatever justifiable reason yeah. that they see should be stolen. Yeah, it makes you wonder if like is 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 Indiana Jones a villain? Uh, yeah, yeah, so uh, they want to destroy something particular. You know, be, be it a, a gateway, an image, a, a symbol, uh, a, a, an idea sure. in some cases. And presumably this is something which, by and large, should not be destroyed for whatever reason. And in the end will drastically change things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the heroes need to stop that. Yeah. It is the typical, most easy way of doing it. It's not always yep. the case. Sometimes they're involved. So... I kind of looking through a bunch of different things came up with three different areas, and I think Sarah helped me define the last one a little bit better and definitely changed up some of the tones of these. Sure. So sure. We're, I kind of scaled things into three sections. Um, the first one being that you have active villains. These are the ones that are kind of the most common. Yeah, uh, sure. That, that when you think of them, they are the uh, they are often the plot. They are. It's an external rivalry, meaning like the the they don't even they're not even usually aware that the heroes are involved. Sure, there might be a concept that someone is coming to stop them. They're they're expecting that. They're just not expecting these individuals. Right, right. I I'm a bad guy. I'm trying to accomplish my bad thing, and some dude in a mask showed up and said, "Hey, stop right there, villain." Right. Now this guy is my enemy, and the plot happens. Right, and and that connection with that rivalry can change greatly. Um, they tend to have an agenda uh, that the characters are, are, you know, usually start off as like flies, road bumps, and eventually become outright walls yep. that are trying to stop them or, or other things. You've been a thorn in my side for far too long now. Right. And that kind of, uh, those types of villains, those active villains, are the ones that tend to have the most sway with uh, where, where the story and the character's involvement with them and integration with them can change. You can have uh, villains who become enamored with the heroes. You mm-hmm. can have villains who 
very hard drive into rivalry because they're 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 thwarting them at every turn and and their interactions are always negative you you can have villains who treat them with utter respect mm-hmm. like i understand that you're doing your job i'm doing my job it doesn't mean that we can't have a civilized dinner every once in a while and discuss these things sure you know yes 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 of course tomorrow you're going to bring your army up to my front door and you're going to sneak in through the canals or something you know some place that I, that one of my henchmen has I'm wildly all very left open used to this song and dance and you're gonna yep. try and reach me by the time i go to finish the ritual but the ritual is going to happen regardless mm-hmm. so please let me know how you like the dessert my my chef said it is the finest that they've ever made and those are the kinds of moments that can be very intriguing with mm-hmm. your players yeah because if you can conf- cultivate that into a story it really makes the story quite interesting and oftentimes you, it, it it then waxes into the I'm not going to say the crazy because on a personal level, you can oftentimes have villains who become enamored with heroes. Uh-huh. Like they, they find a particular hero that meets a lot of their standards for what they would find as a mate. And yet they're on the other side of the coin. And now you have that odd romance. Yeah. In, a, in, a, in a lot of dance, in a lot of tellings, that's Joker and the Batman. I think yeah. it's probably the most, the most visible one of those. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely have a romance. Um, uh, but there's a, I think there's a little bit of this with the Joker. We're, well, he's very hard to define. Um, the second one mm-hmm. is reactive. Um, they're not in the plot. They're not part of the equation. The plot is next to them or running through their front yard. They're they're the mob boss who controls the whole town, and these heroes are literally just trampling through their their flowers, mm-hmm. you know, and and or they get involved. I they are a pirate on the sea and hear about the treasure and now it's a race and they're involved in that regard the i think the the most important thing about the reactive villain is that um if left to their own devices they would just kind of keep doing what they're doing mm-hmm. uh like you mentioned mob bosses earlier you know you've got yeah. your criminal empire and there's going to be fluctuations in that criminal empire sure. pushes and pulls and territory and and ebbs and flows in the drug trade or whatever sure. it is they've got their fingers into but Ultimately, the mob boss is just going to be the mob boss. Yeah, they're just going to fill that that void in the criminal empire of that of that territory. Yep, and that's it. Yeah, and the heroes not interacting with them, they're just going to keep going. Being yeah, the mob boss. And and oftentimes, um, the reactive uh, villains who are not necessarily part of the main story are a secondary villain. Yes, they're, they they appear to be the primary. They appear to be the heavy, but in truth, they're not the plot. Yeah, they make they make great like complications mm-hmm. to existing plots and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, like uh, I, I can think of you know like um, a thieves guild, mm-hmm. you know, getting involved in a in a skirmish between two factions that dragged their fight into the thieves guild territory. Yep. You know. Yep. And now suddenly the thieves guild is like, hey, now we're your enemy. And they're like, what? What? We don't even know you. Like, right. Oh, right. Why are we your enemy? Well, you fought on our territory and you bragged a bunch of uh, of, of uh, bad publicity to us. Right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, indigenous people on an area that you know contains ancient relics that you're stopping someone from getting. Yeah. Now they're the problem. Mm-hmm. You know. And and negotiating that problem becomes even more challenging because they have their own beliefs about what belongs there. They don't even know what that thing is, but they know it belongs there and stays there, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a thing. And it's those kinds of moments that definitely set the the stage for that level of villainy. It doesn't mean that they're not villains. It doesn't mean that they don't fit into those, those coins, but it, it definitely puts a different spin on them. And I, I do like the way you say that, like, they're just going to keep doing what they did. And what they were going to do if left to their own devices. Yeah, they've got their power structure. Yep. Unless it aligns with what they what they want, or or part of their drive, they're probably just going to leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one, which is the one that um often gets uh thrown into stories, is the rivalry. One where it they are direct indirect knowledge of the heroes, and it is one hundred percent part of their. Uh, their view to be recognized. Right. I, I am doing my villainy because you exist, and mm-hmm. I'm doing my villainy to you. Right. Or around you, or to to be- handle because you. Because of you, yeah. to handle you, um, to specifically to get your attention and get yeah. your involvement and stuff like that. You were saying, uh, the Joker, to a degree, has the rivalry. You know, it's the, you made me as much as I made you, let's have a messed up romance. Yeah. I yep. mean that's that's it. Uh, Unbreakable, Mister Glass, 
um, you are better than this. I will help you become better. Right. You, through challenges. You, uh, what you need right now is a villain to turn you into a hero. So right. here I am. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty. Uh, Moriarty Depends on the telling, know, but yeah. yes. I mean, I, I'm always better and will be always better, and I'm going to prove it. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and then you had a really good one, which is Khan versus Kirk. Yeah, uh, from from uh, original st- uh, Star Trek. Yep. yep. Um, and I'm, I'm talking more uh, about le- less about the uh, the the remake movie and Correct. more about the original uh, yeah. Star Trek two. Yeah. Uh, with uh, Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did this to me, and now I'm gonna burn everything to you. Yep. And like, and it's all about that. You marooned me on a planet, and I have been waiting waiting for my revenge ever since. Correct. Yep. Correct. And 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 in the case of something like which is funny, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, you know, I, you left me on an island, marooned. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the same to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to give you that same regard, and I'll you give know? you the same courtesy of a of a, of a, uh, a p- pistol with one bullet. That's yep. Correct. That's correct. Uh, I I I love when good rivalries are simplistic, um, and. They can be defined and sometimes attached to backgrounds. Um, it is hard to do it, I would say, healthfully, healthy in a uh, in a tabletop RPG because you run the risk of having players leave the table mm-hmm. uh, or or die or change, um, and and or n- not reciprocating. Yeah, and and as a storyteller, it can get very disheartening if your players aren't into it yeah yeah they're not meeting the level of the villain what i find what i find refreshing is if you can find the energy to remind yourself who the villain is and realize they're not doing it Mm -hmm. like be the villain of like you're not you're not even taking me seriously What, what do i have to do you know, like if this, if we were married, I'd buy you flowers and take you out and get you to dinner. So I, I guess I'll burn the forest. It requires a grand you know, overture to get right. their attention. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now I have your attention. Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. Yeah. And, but sometimes you have to take the remorse of the storyteller and put it to the side mm-hmm. and remind yourself of the character and what they're doing. Yep. Yep. So, um, speaking of which. Villains are people too. Villains are people too. Um, and I think this is, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about this on our last show about um, how, you know, about the sympathetic villain and stuff of like that. But this is less about um, what their motivations are and more about how your villains act in practice once they're once they're actually in play. Because um, we like to kind of think of our villains as just these like mindless, you know, uh, murder machines. Sometimes, you know, just just doing evil acts because that's what they do. They're the they're the villain. You know, they're the monster at that point. They're the monster at this point. Yeah. Um, but I, I submit to you that like your villains can and really should be smart, mm-hmm. acting in ways that are logical and calculated. Yes. Um, they should be emotional, uh, acting out of anger or grief or other passionate feeling, especially reacting towards thwarted plans of the heroes when your when your heroes come in and thwart their plans they don't just go ah shucks and try again next time like reprisals are a thing well not only that but just like the sheer uh the sheer agony of like i have spent months pulling this together do you have any idea how many strings I had to pull just to get seven grams of this material? I'm going to end you. <laughs> I'm going to make you pay for every... Yeah. Yeah. For or, every... yeah. I said no sprinkles. For every sprinkle I find, I shall kill you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I think also under the sympathetic note, you have those moments where the villain does something tragic that they recognize. Mm-hmm. Granted, out of necessity. You know, whether it was people who were, you know, you know, the the, the villain, you know, the, the heroes come back to their their home base and find it destroyed mm-hmm. because they had left something there that the villain wanted. Yep. And, you know, they show up there and on a table is a very nicely sealed note and a black rose and wrapped in 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 velvet in black velvet are the broken weapons of their guardsmen. 
who mm-hmm. defended the place. And the note basically reads, I'm sorry for the axe. They were very brave. They fought well. We've buried them in in the cemetery out back and given them proper stones. Not even not even that. You know. Just a note that says, You break some of mine, I break some of yours. Sure. You know? But it's uh, I, I will go so far as to say that they were you know, they they, they did well. You know. Sure. I, I I'm he's not said that he killed them. He's just saying they deserved you know, they got a good death. Mm-hmm. You know, I I love a good villain who can do that. Yeah, who, who can turn yeah. around and do that? Uh, and that, that kind of brings us into our next one: uh, being sympathetic, uh, having understandable, albeit misguided, yep. rationale for their villainous ways. So yep. you want them to make sense in a certain perspective. Correct. It's a skewed perspective because they are a villain, but you like the random acts of villainy, the random acts of violence and stuff like that don't typically play out well. Um, you want the heroes to be able to look at them and for the most part be able to piece together why the villain is doing what they're doing right and be able to track their motivations um if you don't you you run the risk of your players being just lost in your plot and not understanding what it is they're supposed to be doing to thwart the villain um and they may have similar agendas and see the heroes as a mean to an ends or even friendly you know yeah uh, you were talking about maya and the three uh, yeah. gods versus gods you yeah. know of that whole that 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 stereotypical line that you hear in a lot from a lot of villains of we're not so different you and i yeah if you were to just see things from my perspective you could join me yeah you're powerful i'm powerful we essentially want the same thing yeah let's work together yeah if you understood that if the, you do this one thing my way we could end all of this yeah i mean it's a sacrifice and that's what i'm asking of you but it's it's no different than the insane sacrifice you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, just hear me out. I've got some other information, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, I'm still going to meet try and meet my goal because I'm sorry, this isn't going to end well for you. And you often hear a lot of justifications uh, after that of like, you know, if you only set aside your um, your foolish morals, if you only set aside your foolish, you know, adherence to the 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 law or right. whatever yeah and crossed the same line i did yeah you'd see things from my perspective yeah. and yeah. you could achieve your goals but that's why you're failing yeah you pitiful heroes that's yeah. why you haven't achieved your goal either because you don't have the strength to do what's necessary that i do as a villain or in the case of of, of the whole like light versus dark you know y- you have to tap into those emotions to have power uh-huh they'll drive you they'll they'll tell you where to go you know the Jedi thing. That's yeah. right. There's there's so much strength in the dark side. If yeah. you just give yourself over to it, man, you'd whoop so much ass. They use the words dark side. It's really just feelings. Yeah. It's just getting angry. Yeah. Or, or, or feeling love and, you know. Dark and light. Yeah, it's all semantics, you know. That's right. That's right. Um, So all of this stuff should drive their actions, their yeah. their logical calculations, their emotional reactions, their their moral justifications and stuff like that should all be the drivers behind their actions. Um, if a smart villain learns that the heroes have loved ones, well, those are points of leverage. You use them. Yeah, I mean, they they may not do it in some grotesque way. They may do it in a very simple way of saying, like, I'm going to access them or I am going to show that they are potentially a soft target that can't be protected from me. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you, you love to see it when when a hero, you know, is on the phone with one of the villains. Red is a great example of this, where he's literally having a conversation, I believe, in the uh, first movie. Uh-huh. And he was just like, you know, trace that line, uh, you know, we'll find him. And he just keeps talking to him. And he's just like, you know, he's just like, you're going to help me with this because you know, you have something of mine and you know exactly how it feels. And he's just like, Oh God. He's like, he's calling from your house. Please don't hurt my family. Uh huh. I'm not going to hurt them if you don't hurt her. Yep. You, it, again, <laughs> no harm will come to her. You know, that's has, the whole thing. He has yeah. no intention of hurting the family. He's not doing anything bad. But what he is doing is showing that he has access to them. Yep. And and sometimes that's enough. Yeah. You know? And it's it's enough to just manipulate a person, whether whether your villain is willing to cross that line or not, of yeah. like taking hostages or something like that. Um is, you know, just just showing that they can manipulate the other person. Like, say hello to your wife Sarah for me. Like yeah. Oh God, I've got to get home right now. Well now you know exactly where the hero is. Yeah. 
you know where they are for probably the next hour. At least. And you can get away with a lot. Yeah. When you know that they're bound at home thinking they're defending against an attack that's never coming. Yeah. Because you're not going to launch it. Why would you attack his wife? That's horrible. Yeah. But I am going to steal the crown jewels. Yes. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, but that's the thing. And then you have the emotional villain who can act out violently if those emotions are triggered. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's the uh, um, it's the moment that something slips, mm-hmm. that somebody steps over the line. You know, they're they're holding their uh the the someone that they love off the edge of a building and mm-hmm. they let go or something slips and you watch them turn into this raging monster. I had uh, two great examples of that. Um if you watch the Netflix Daredevil. Uh I think it's in season two. Um so the the Kingpin, uh Wilson Fisk yes. is uh, uh has fallen in love with this woman named Vanessa. And um in season two, uh, Kingpin is um, in jail for his crimes, uh, organize, all the organized crime and crap like that that he did. Uh, and Vanessa has escaped overseas uh, to Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so she's evading arrest for being an accomplice, essentially, there. Mm-hmm. And Matt Murdock, because he's a lawyer, goes to see Fisk in uh, in jail. Right. And at one point, basically brings up in the conversation as a point of leverage of like, you know, it would be horrible if her visa were canceled because she would have to come back here to the United States and you know what would happen to her then. And Fisk goes from, haha, you don't scare me. I'm a sophisticated businessman and I'm in full control of everything into a raving lunatic at the drop of a hat. Like, destroys the table. Because Vanessa was threatened. Right. And that's the tipping point for him. Yeah. Um, the other great one was uh, season one of Critical Role. Uh, spoilers for that. Um, a little old. A little old, but it's going to be a major plot point in the upcoming TV series mm-hmm. that is coming to Amazon Prime in February, I believe, um, is uh, the Briarwoods. Um, Delilah and Silas Briarwood were a uh, necromancer and vampire power couple <laughs> that uh, loved each other very much um, and in their own twisted way. I mean, they were horrible. They were vile, vile monsters, but they were madly in love with each other. And uh, when they crossed blades with uh, uh, with the heroes in that in that story, um, Silas was uh, was killed by the druid using a sunbeam, um, and just evaporated into dust right in front of his wife Delilah. And she cries out. She's like, "No, Silas! I broke the world for you." And it was one of the greatest lines I have heard in Critical Role ever. And the way that Matt Mercer delivered it had mm-hmm. so much pain in his voice when he when he shouted it. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the moments that sit with you, you know. Yep. Those moments when when you you take a villain and by by your heroic actions break them, mm-hmm. and they just snap, mm-hmm. and just watching where they go from there. Yep. You know. Yep. Um. So. One of the things that I think we run into, because we were, uh, you had brought this up, and it was actually going to be a discussion point when when you had put it in here, but you you, you explained it really well when we were talking in the uh, in the pre show, um, was smart villains can feel cheaty. Oh, they absolutely can because you, you are the storyteller. You know everything about your players. Sure, you sure. know everything is going. So oftentimes when you get into a fight, and the first thing that they do is ch- shift tactics and immediately start attacking the players a certain way. The players are all like, oh, it's just you. It's not the actual villain. Oh, yeah, you're you're just cheesing this because you know the only thing that I'm weak to is this. Well, no, the villain also knows the only thing you're weak to is that. That's why he's using it. But sometimes it's hard to telegraph that it's the villain. And that's that's the thing. And I I think, like, you know, I I think the players players sometimes get, get... uh, especially like in D and D, I find mm-hmm. um, your players tend to get very uh, into a rhythm. Um, players fall into their particular roles. Yep. You always know that the sort that the, the, the pyromancer sorcerer is going to uh, going to cast fireball at the first mm-hmm. opportunity. You always know the the healer is going to heal. The the, the bard is going to toss out inspiration like it's cookies, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then uh a smart villain will identify that and will know that, you know, the first time they see a healing spell go off, that dude needs to die mm-hmm. because they are the one, they, like, it's a battle of attrition. Yeah. And if you cut off their healing, 
you're, you're cutting off their resupply. At that point, they cannot continue to do what they do as long as you can continue to do. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but players can really feel like they're being targeted mm-hmm. by that. I mean, you played the cleric in our group. I did. Would you have felt good about it if every single enemy in, a, in like a six or eight enemy encounter glomped on you mm-hmm. and just gunned you down in the first turn? I would feel pretty bad. It would feel pretty bad. But it makes sense to me. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so there's a real fine line you've got to kind of walk with that. Right. Um, And and I think one of the big uh, things is to keep an open dialogue with your group. Uh, Like I I mentioned last last episode that uh, I told Sean specifically that the investigators from the Sigic Order that are there to kind of look into his BS story about destroying the crown, um, were going to be a thorn in his side. Mm-hmm. I told them those were specifically there to be a plot for his character and that I wasn't just picking on him. Right. Like, because I wanted that out in the open. Yeah. You know, I didn't want those feelings of, of resentment to fester and when these guys keep showing up for him and then have him feel bad about it and then have to diffuse that situation later. Yeah. You know, and I don't think I'm doing any disservice to the to the story. Like, I think, you know, we live in a big spoiler culture. We're like, oh, we don't want to give away any hints of like what's going to happen mm-hmm. or what's going on behind the screen. But I think it's all very relics of like, you know, the old DM versus player mentality. Right. I prefer a much more collaborative storytelling style. I agree. And that's why, like, most of my heroic stuff, I do my, my, I show a little bit what's going on behind the screen. Yeah, I do exactly. my meanwhiles, you know, where I'm not necessarily telegraphing all of my villain stuff, but I might telegraph things that he is, that they have learned. Right, 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 you know, right, right. So that things that the players are already aware of it's more of a reminder like they know he's going after this and he just got his hands on x but one of his henchmen might be you know might say also while we were there we were able to discover x about this person like ah oh. i see that would you be know, very useful and a couple future. coins you know a coin purse gets tossed his henchman you yeah. know a for what he's learned and so now that's been telegraphed Mm-hmm. You know, it's out in the open. The players may forget about it. So then when that player gets targeted, because that piece of information is in the villain's pocket, mm-hmm. then they're like, oh, yeah, you did mention he knew about... Th-. At least the player is saying that, because obviously the character has no idea. Correct. But the player is going, oh, yep, this is a perfectly justified action, and you told me it was going to happen. Yep. 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 And it's it's a lot of seats. There's a lot of little things, and it takes it takes time and a lot of notes and a lot of careful reminding of yourself as a storyteller to be able to say, to, to remember this. Mm-hmm. To, like, there are things that I've planted in my D&D game that I have with you that are all throughout the story. Little things that you guys know in the backs of your heads because they are events that have occurred that are going to come back around. And are going to be not necessarily surprising, but very, very striking. But it takes quite a bit of foresight to not necessarily plant those seeds, but to recognize that they are there. Your players will leave a lot on the floor for you to pick up all the time. And sometimes it's just a matter of reviewing things with them, not yourself, because you're on with your plot. You're thinking about your villain. You're doing all these things. You're not necessarily picking up all the pieces, but one of your players may have simply lost something Uh or broken something in front of other people, said something at the wrong time. There's nothing to say that your villain didn't pick up on that. Sure. And that later on, 13 episodes later, they act on that knowledge. Um, I loved a good game where basically almost every major fight that they were playing in, the players would do the same thing. They'd peek into a room, they'd see what was going on in there, and then their mage would open up with a AoE spell that was carved so that they could rush in and take out, you know, it's take out the lighter things and focus on the heavier things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, whether it was lightning, whether it was fire, whatever. But it was a giant AoE spell. The, the DM in that story had set up early... Uh, these methods that at when they died, they would explode. Mm-hmm. And it, it was kind of a neat little trick because the first time it happened, it spooked the heck out of the, the, the one of the players that sure. they took some extra damage from it. But then he had like basically a room of sleeping methods and they had to sneak through it and not have, because they could fight their way through, but they were not going to survive it. 
mm-hmm. you know, then he kind of just let that slide and he got near the end and they were, he knew that they were coming up to the fi- one of the final fights and he was like, I need to make sure that they recognize the story. I need to monologue. It has to happen. Sure. So the, 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 uh, big bad evil guy starts his monologue. They're like, okay, well we can get him by surprise. If we, we keep the conversation up, somebody can get in position and we can AOE the area. Mm-hmm. And literally they get to that point and there are two cages suspended in the middle of the room on either side of the villain with their friends in it. But strapped to the cages are the methods poking in at the the people. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we can't AOE the room. We'll literally kill our friends. Yep. Yep. And There's shrapnel bombs it was, it attached was just, to them, essentially. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was a simple thing. And they, they recognized all of it. And they were like, oh my gosh, we telegraphed all of this. Like, he, we get... Like, yeah. our game is up. We have to find a new way to handle this. Yeah. And so they had to hear out his monologue the whole time they're trying to figure out how they're going to redo this situation. Yeah. yeah. And he basically tells them, like, I have you where I want you. The question is, are you ready? And the players weren't. They literally said, like, can we can we do, like, a short break and, like, come back next session? We need to figure this out. And he's like, Yep. Mm-hmm. And he realized at that point he he had made a good story and made a good tactical scene. Yeah, and they understood it all. And I was like, that that is great. That is coming. Yeah. And he had no plan to do that originally. Mm-hmm. But he he just kept on trying to figure out like, how am I going to handle these AOEs? Like, how am I going to get around this? And the best thing he could figure out was I need to put civilians in there. Yeah, because he would do it. Yep, just to get his point across. It's so like what, uh, that's what my big bad evil guy did. Mm-hmm. He did. Filt, uh, put like 14 people in front of him, and they were all basically mind slaves to him, too. So they would all take yeah. a bullet for him, or yep. an arrow, or whatever. Yep, yep. It was a really well done scene. Really uh, well done scene. So speaking of the monologue. Yes, the monologue. The monologue. The Man, monologue. oh, God. The villains love the... Everybody loves the monologue. I think I think everybody loves the monologue. I, I, I would say I, so. I, I want to say that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty universal thing. Um, I mean, because... All I, good storytellers love a monologue. All good players who do storytelling love a good monologue. Yes, yes, and, and because because it's a great it's a great opportunity for plot exposition. It's a great opportunity for your for your villain to show his hand mm-hmm. a little bit in the story, to brag about his motivations and the awful things that he's done and stuff like that, and kind of build things up. And like, there's. Uh, Man, there is such a trend of trigger-happy players that want to take the monologue as an opportunity to try to sneak attack the villain, and I don't, I I don't get it. I don't agree with it. Frustrating because, like, why would you stop such a great story moment? Yeah, you know. Yeah, just just let him talk. You can fight after. I'm sure you can fight after. Yeah, you know. But just let him talk. <laughs> yeah, I, I that, don't even mind to you, to you as players. <laughs> I don't even mind when uh, when they try an ambush and it gets thwarted, mm-hmm. and he can and they continue monologuing. Right, 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 like, right. The, like it isn't like the, there's still flies, but like, I, the situation is not ended for them. You know, <laughs> I, you know, we, we brought up syndrome uh, oh, last yeah, episode, and, yeah. and I think I think that's where a lot of people got it. Everybody yeah. saw the Incredibles, and they're like, "You sly devil, you caught me monologuing." <laughs> they're like, "Oh, I want to catch him monologuing." No, oh, no, stop, just, guys, just let him talk, man. Yep, yep. Let him it, talk. He's about to reveal all of his plans to you. Yep, yep. I mean, that's the other thing that always gets me is I've been, uh, I've been working on his voice in the shower yep. and on my commute to work this entire time. I got it perfect. Well, my like one of the favorite things is uh, um, Phineas and Ferb. Uh-huh. The other half of the story is Doofenshmirtz versus Perry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Doofenshmirtz like, has a friendly relationship with his nemesis. Mm-hmm. Like he knows how the game's going to be played. Sure, you're going to you're going to break in my door. You're we're going I'm going to give you my old monologue and give you my backstory and reasoning for why I'm doing it. We're going to have an epic fight. My thing's going to go off. You're going to blow it up. Mm-hmm. This is the standard thing. This is how it's going to go every time. You know, so when the door opens up, you know, he's like, oh, you use the doorbell. Thank you for not causing severe damage. Well, that will really help the HOA and insurance this week. <laughs> Why don't you have a cup of tea? We'll just take a, take a five minute break here. I've actually got a whole musical number for my backstory on this one. Mm-hmm. Just sit down and relax for a little bit. And he traps him in the chair naturally, you know. That's a line from the crow. Like, are you going to jump out the window like you always do? He's like, I thought I'd use the door. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's it's things like that that set apart moments and and change the tone yeah but i mean there's nothing to say that that isn't a great way to handle it sure and look not all monologues have to be sit down and have a cup of tea with me sometimes there's they're tense standoffs absolutely i have hostages so you will listen to every damn word i have to say right you know but 
I, I think the the important thing, the, one of the things I want to get at here, because it's one of the things I always see, mm-hmm. is you get that one player who shouts out, I loose an arrow at him, or yeah. I, I shoot him in the head. Yeah. I had um, my weapon ready, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it needs to be said that, like, these are not surprise rounds slash free shots. Yeah. Okay. Surprise is predicated on the idea that the target is not expecting you or cannot see it coming. Standing there staring at the party while monologuing to the people who are there to thwart you are neither of these situations. Your villain expects a confrontation. That's why they're monologuing. Correct. You know? Correct. Um, it's My favorite is always the, the uh, um, bad dubbing. You know, or sublines, you know, it's the uh, enough talk, let's fight, you know. I, I like that kind of return, you know, where the very end of the fight is always, you know, uh, is the is the hero saying, like, you've talked enough, villain, let's fight. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Call them out. That's fine. There's nothing exactly. wrong with that. Exactly. Like, your words are as empty as your soul, monster. You yeah. know, great little things like this. You guys could be delivering cheesy-ass dialogue like this. During these monologues, but you instead choose to just shoot. Yeah. Um, so I my I say to you, all storytellers, you're, if you do have a trigger-happy person trying to interrupt your monologue, roll for initiative as normal. This is not a surprise round. Yep. You absolutely ex- the villain absolutely expects this to happen. Yeah. Um, and is going to be just as ready to react to the players, and may in fact, like, even if the person already has their bow out and an arrow knocked, mm-hmm. the very act of them drawing it back and pulling it up to aim mm-hmm. is enough time for a fast enough villain to to react and do something even if they've got it drawn already and on target there's nothing to say that the villain is not gonna just be able to shield and block it to the side like please are we children exactly you know so and and that's and that's the other thing too don't be afraid to shield your villain in some way right Uh, i did this with uh with with titus uh uh, titus carrencho the 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 the, the necromancer i had him under an invulnerability shield Mm -hmm. um that was just some magical contrivance i cooked up like it's not in the D &D book at all right it was just like yeah he's got an invulnerability shield for three for the first three turns yep just so you guys couldn't do that Mm -hmm. and he threw some rumpties at you and he couldn't get out of the shield he wasn't doing anything right but he got to monologue to you for the first three rounds of combat while you guys fought undead minotaurs nothing wrong with that yeah yeah yep and then the shield dropped and he joined the battle and you could kill him after that that's yep. fine yep. but i just did not want that combat to be over in the first three turns so i made a contrivance for it i i also love the whole concept of monologuing through combat mm-hmm. like get the story out during the combat players love using talk as a free action there's nothing to say the villain has to be silent and grunty the entire time yeah like, i i love a good conversation during combat Oh, absolutely. Keep that... If they interrupt your monologue, don't stop. Keep it going. Don't stop. First round of combat, think of a chunk of that monologue you could conceivably say from behind the bulletproof glass that you've ducked behind to take cover on your first round of combat. Mm -hmm. Fire your gun off a few times and go, it didn't have to be like this, heroes. It could have been great if you'd have just joined me, you know? Yep. Keep and going. then the, the scene from Gross Point Blank, when they're in the living room shooting at each other, having a negotiation about him joining the union. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's yeah. just like, do you guys have dental? Him and Dan Aykroyd, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no dental. No dice. Do, 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 do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was it was it was comical, but at the same time, it is telling. You know, having the barbarian character, you know, shield and in or in blade up, pressed up against the villain who's glaring back at him, and is just like, you'd make an amazing right hand. You know, I could put you and he tosses him to the side. You know, with a say like right here at my side, uh-huh. replace all of that broken bits of of things that you call weapons with truth and justice, and we could take everything. You know, it's it's uh, Darth Vader talking to Luke through the entire fight. Uh huh. You know, regardless of how it's going, he isn't finishing. You know, he's going to finish what he has to tell him. Yep. Yep. You know. And, and answer the questions, you know. I did a I did a little bit of that with uh um with the 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 kind of the end boss of the uh, the Poppy King plot. Yes, uh, who she turned out not to be the Poppy King, but Correct. turned out to be uh, uh a Mogra um the uh the the orc barbarian dude. Yeah. Um, and uh, but but he he always had this this mantra that he was that he that he would say that uh, there's there's only two types of people yep. in the world: the strong and the weak, the hunter and the hunted. If you're the... not the lion. 
you're the gazelle. Yeah. And uh, your wife actually had this great moment where um, he was uh, switching targets, basically, and she put an arrow, like three arrows into his chest or something like that, and just went, Yoo-hoo! I'm the hunter. Yeah. <laughs> it was just this great moment of, like, come get me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Come bring it. Yeah. Oh, and he did. <laughs> oh, he did. He did. And that's that's another thing is, is that by doing this, you're opening up role play. You're bringing the role play back to a tabletop exactly, game. Exactly, because role play doesn't stop when combat no. starts. No. You know? I mean, how many times have you been playing a digital game? Where you're a fighting someone, you're like, yeah, bring it, come on, and you're you're having a conversation, but there's nothing happening on uh-huh. the side. Exactly. It's just combat. Now you you have that other side. Now it's a press against you. It's that is the beauty of role play. That's what role play is. <laughs> Dialogue during combat. I'm thinking, well, haven't any of you fools thought, heard of a warning shot? <laughs> that was beautiful. That was. <laughs> He's an idiot. <laughs> He's an idiot. Shut Don't up. mind him. <laughs> Shut up or I'm going to leave you bleeding right here. <laughs> oh, great, great, great moments in asshole bard history. Oh, it was fantastic. But he uh, so played his character and I loved it. All um, right. So so I guess kind of the kind of the crux of our matter then. Yes. Uh, the, the main villainous movement. What yes. do you do with a villain? How do you progress their villainous plans? So it's a balance between punishing the players for not being decisive. Uh-huh. And villains laying, laying about waiting for the heroes to show up. Exactly. Like, you, you've got to find that even ground. And that's where we talk about, in our previous stories, we've talked about event triggers, doom clocks, the fronts. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. that whole bar yeah. of things. So it's turn-based movement, and that's a good way of, of thinking about it, where your villain, your villain has plot points. Uh-huh. But so do your players. They have, they have chunks that they're moving through. Clear a dungeon, uh, get to the end of an area, uh, retrieve an item, uh, or or in some cases not lose an item, sure. in, depending on how the events go. In those, the villain also gets a movement. Mm-hmm. Just because his henchmen are doing it doesn't mean that there isn't a reply back to him. And you don't have to follow time and physics. Exactly. All of that can be set to the side. Exactly. And that's why I... Um, why in my stories I give the players a view into that. Mm-hmm. I give them an example of someone writing a note or leaving a message or talking to the villain, so that you know even if it's through like the villain's this shadowy figure, you know, hidden in the darkness, and the the only person in the light is the pr- one person that they've seen, that henchman that they've seen who's delivering this message to them. So they don't even necessarily know who the villain is, but they know he's getting the information. Mm-hmm. You know that they're 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 getting that. That that's the key to the to the next turn. That's the villain showing their turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you don't have to do that. I think it's a fun way of doing it. But I at least if you write that down, if you know their goal step to step, and you're like, okay, they completed this. Okay, the players did this. All right, then they've got to do this next. Right, the, the player completed a plot point. Yeah. So the villains get their plot, plot point, point because the players did not thwart the villain with their own plot point. Correct. So so there's moves forward a step. I don't yeah. care how much time has passed. Right. The villain now accomplishes a goal. Yep. And sometimes your players are moving very quickly or they're doing things that are in a certain order that th- that thwart and delay things. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're just doing really well. There's nothing to say that your villain isn't staggering. Sure. There's still movement, but it's staggered. It's maybe slower. Maybe they're recollecting things. Maybe they're taking a long rest. Maybe your villain needs time to replan. Maybe Mm -hmm. they've been thwarted enough that their original plan is either not not possible, or they're seeing that it's too easily thwarted by the uh, by the by the PCs and things like that. Um, You know, you you may have a shift in their plans. You know, they're not slavishly just moving towards it. That's where you know you may you may have a shift from okay. I can't accomplish my plans while these heroes keep thwarting it. Maybe my new plan is thwart the heroes. You know, because once, because clearly they're just going to continue to be an obstacle. Maybe I need to go after them. And that's my next plot point, you know? Yeah. Um, Knox made a point here. He said, is it fair to pull the Osmandius card uh, and have things happen that are too late for the party to prevent? And I think in tabletop gaming, um, it's, it's group storytelling. And what you're basically doing is removing the other players from the game at that point. They, they, um, they, they're removing their agency. Yes and no. Uh, I, 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 I agree with you for the most part, but yeah. I think there's a way of doing it where you can do it um, because the villains still need to be able to accomplish villainous things. 
right? I, I agree. Uh, and so I, I think being able to do things that are... I don't think they should accomplish their goal. Like, the goal with a capital G. Correct. Without player... And that's really what I was addressing, that Osmandia's card specifically means I'm completing my goal. Yes. And yes, I, yes, I yes, do yes. not... I think that removes player agency. Can they do something outside of the player's control? Yes. And this this comes back to the, the story that we had where you're not going to wipe out a whole town. Right, right, right. You know, but you may steal something. Mm-hmm. And that was outside of the player's control. Yeah, you know, yeah. or your 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 villain may get their hands on an NPC that's meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's outside of the player's control because it wasn't in their view. You know that what maybe it wasn't in their focus. And I think that's really where your your villains ace cards can come in, where their focus is somewhere else. You you made a perfect example. The players get the choice of like, hey, you guys can go do this or this. You know the consequences is it leaves your flank open. Mm-hmm. Like they, the villain has that, you know, you know where the villain's going. You know, you can go stop that, but they're going to get their hands on this. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's joint storytelling. You're painting the if-then statements for the players and letting them then choose the fate and moving forward. Mm-hmm. But it's it's almost blatantly obvious what's going to happen. It's just how does it happen? What sure, is the outcome? Sure. So. Um, I think the other thing, too, is write down your villain's goals. Always. Always write down your villain's goals. I know. I think we mentioned it last uh, last episode mm-hmm. of uh, kind of have a mission statement for your villain. Yeah, your, uh, what's their villain. drive? Because if there's ever a moment where you're thinking, oh, God, what is my villain going to do? Mm-hmm. You have a guiding star. To like, if, if they're ever in a quandary of like, okay, they're, they're just kind of in open water, they could kind of do anything here, they're going to move towards their goal. Right. And and that's it. So mm-hmm. um, always gives you at least some current to push their ship in that direction. Uh, and I do want to say, be, be careful of spite. Um, take the time to consider that, like, unless um, thwarting the party is the villain's goal. Yeah. Uh, like we we talked about, like a reactive villain, you know, mm-hmm. directly wants to direct their ire towards a specific person mm-hmm. or group. Um, whether the villain views the party or the goal as the most important, um, we sometimes make the villains too focused on the party. I right? agree. Uh, it, they can get a little distracted where they're like, ah, I'm going to kill them with this vicious trap or this vicious trap. And it's like, why are they spending so much time trying to kill us? Like, don't they have things they're trying to accomplish like i understand that we're that we're stopping them but it doesn't make for interesting story it doesn't make for interesting story it just makes for death traps yeah you know yeah and it makes you feel targeted in a in a short term story in a short term story where you basically have someone who is trying to upper hand the pcs for some reason usually their goal is to do it for recognition um and in that case, they're gonna they're gonna try and do it more and more and more observably, so that the it 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 fail it causes failure, because outright killing the players doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And spite can definitely be used as something as an instantaneous moment that even they regret because it's disrespectful. Like yeah. what I just did was was not the way to handle that, and I'm very sorry. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to blow up your parents' house. Like <laughs> it it was more of a reaction. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and and but that's a thing you can do that like, and it shows that the players pushed a button a little too far. Yeah, you know that yeah. they 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 pushed something, and that even they need to be careful about. And it, it can it can kind of tend to humanize them too. Like you know, I I, I apologize. That was that crossed a line even for me. You understand? You like know? the 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 one where like the 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 henchman comes in. You know, like, and explains that he burned oh, yeah. down the I, village. I did some horrible thing on your behalf, boss. Is like, you did what now? Yeah. And just kills him as uh, an example yeah. to everybody else. And like, I, that was unacceptable. I apologize for my henchman. Uh, he's been dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have strung him up. Yeah. And, and read his entrails for a, uh, you know, for a sign from the gods. Yeah. And they said I did the right thing. And they so, said I did the right thing. So yeah. we're square now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very sorry about that. You know. <laughs> it, but that's, that's... That's what you're. You've got to watch those lines and watch that that you're that you're never moving beyond your villain's vision yeah. and control. And sometimes it's as simple as recognizing that they are not a monster. Mm-hmm. 
that they have thoughts, they have feelings, they have people around them that are going to try and keep them in focus. Yeah. So exactly. All right. Uh, so we we have uh, we have one question actually, uh, kind of uh, from the Discord here. Okay. Uh, so Og and me um, asks uh, from the time you decide upon your villain or introduce your villain, do you plan out a series of actions the villain will take? Do you make changes or alterations based on the party's actions or responses to uh, the villain's activities? Without seeing the villain, how do you signal to the party that they? This is a long question. It's a long, quite a lot. All of right, questions. let's let's break this down a little we're, bit. We're, we're start at the beginning. All right, so from the time you decide your villain and introduce your villain, do you plan out a series of actions the villain will take? Typically, no. I I I I plan a direction that they're taking and maybe their first and second action. That's yeah, it. yeah. I would I would say I would say there are stepping stones mm-hmm. uh, of like they'll do this to accomplish this to accomplish this with the end goal of this. Yeah, oftentimes without the players even as a thought. Yeah. Exactly. With without the players interacting with it, yeah. this is the this step A, B, C to the end goal of D is what they will do. Yep. And then it definitely the the next question: Do you make alterations? One hundred percent. Absolutely. You every, have to every time a player does some or a character does something that alters uh, the story for that villain. One hundred percent. I make changes. I, I think of it a little bit like flowing water. Mm-hmm. You know, if you block off one area, the water will try to flow around that to mm-hmm. find the lowest point again. Right. You know. Uh, so that it's always flowing downhill, mm-hmm. uh, and so your you know your your villain is the river. Your heroes are going to try to put dams up in front of the river. Yep. Your goal is to try to find a way around those dams to end up where the river is going to go, anyways. Right. You know. Yeah, and he, uh, sometimes they can create a a, a literal lake yep. for a while. Sometimes the only way through is busting down the dam, and 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 that's that's where you really have to realize recognize that. At what point does the villain believe that the heroes, uh, that the characters are a problem uh-huh. that needs to be handled? Or are they just another, another bump nuisance, in the road? nuisance to send some henchmen after. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see. Without seeing the villain, how do you signal to the party that the uh, that uh, that what they encounter or experience can be attributed to the villain if they don't see the villain do it personally? Um, good. Well, that, that was my entire plot. This last yeah. uh, this last section, yeah. um, it was all people acting on his behalf, yep. and being very clear about who they were acting on on the behalf of. Like, oh, you you can't mess with us. We're servants of the Poppy King. Correct. You're you're on the Poppy King's turf. That's right. And that makes your all of your goods and valuables uh, forfeit. Yep. Given to us. Yeah. It I, having very clearly defined and proud um, henchmen. Are, is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. You see it in all the shows. It's already painted. I mean, one of my favorite ones was uh, the Monarchs Men. Like they constantly, they 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 looked like little butterflies, or yeah. you know, they they constantly talked about the monarch and how powerful he was. Sorry, no, no, totally. I'm with you 100 percent on the. So, uh, but uh, they're they're a, a grand example of of the epitome of what henchmen and and villains men should be like in the sense that they should be proud and obvious to the heroes yeah everyone else they're they're just there but the heroes hear it they know it they're very comfortable with it i mean the the the, the law even talks about is like oh you mean those yellow guys over there Oh, those are the monarchs guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're yeah. kind of useless, but they're they're definitely loyal. And look, even even outside of the sort of like four four color comic book sense that, yeah. that that the monarch is in, like, uh, okay, so look at look at mobsters, you know, stuff oh, like yeah. that. Like they're they're proud of their family affiliation, yep. and if absolutely nothing else, dropping their their mob boss's name mm-hmm. gives them clout. Yeah, like you're not just messing with me, you know, four finger Tony. You're messing with uh, Don Corleone. Yeah. You know, like, oh, crap, you're one of Don Corleone's guys. Like, exactly. now I know that if I cross you, I cross your boss, and your boss is a horrible person. Right. And I don't want that heat. Yeah. You know, they're banking on you making that, that connection. So they're going to drop his name. Mm-hmm. And, and Don Corleone says hello. Yeah. 
And and like the Russian mob is a very large entity, but all of the players in it are very proud to be part of it, and it's very clear who they are when they when they roll up in their vehicles, the way they look, the way their cars look, in comparison to everything around them. Oh, absolutely! Like absolutely, when the black horses with black leather and silver bridles, and you know black masked figures with red you know red paint across their their uh, the top edge of their eyes come in. Okay, that's that's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, everybody in town knows who those people are. Right, right, right. So, all right. So, have you ever intertwined two main villain activities together in your story, which caused the characters to make critical decisions at different branch points in the storyline, or caused confusion as to who the main villain actually is? Yes, <sighs> it turned out poorly. I'll flat out say that it turned out poorly. I did that in in seventh C, and it turned out poorly. I had to I had to figure it out because the players did not understand what was going on as clearly as I understood it. Yeah, I think I think that's that's one thing you got to be careful about is confusing the issue because the players are probably already going to be confused. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of the reasons why, like, when you're making puzzles for your mm-hmm. for your group, like dungeon puzzles and stuff of like that, like you should really pull them out of like a first grade kindergarten book. Yeah, you know because. Dead honest, your players will overthink everything. Yeah. And or they'll underthink everything. You know, I uh, I, I, I was recently hearing a story on another podcast I was listening to about uh, someone who li- literally the solution to the puzzle was as easy as like basic math. One plus one equals two sort mm-hmm. of stuff. And the people trying to solve it went on for like 45 minutes and like advanced calculus and like base eight math came into their solutions. Yeah. And, like, eventually they were like, okay, look, 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 look. I, as a storyteller, I'm going to say, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) You've gone too far. (laughs) Well, and I've always had to do that. Like, my D&D plot, I brought back to basics. I streamlined the whole plot. Uh Uh-huh. Because I did have multiple players in it at different times that were were effectively red herrings or confusion points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did too good of a job. Yeah. So. And your players start going, I don't know what the hell's going on. And you lose interest. It's it's sad, but it's, it's the truth of it. And so. It, what I always say is, unless your players are devoted, and you are week in, week out, on top of everything with heavy notes, and they almost know more about what's going on in your world than you do, mm-hmm. do not throw them multiple villain crossover moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the wheels within wheels within wheels within wheels yeah. does not play out as well on the table as you think it does in your head. The only thing I will say to that is... If you have a, a vast world that your players are playing a a very string-designed plot, meaning there is a thread that they are clearly following, mm-hmm. without a question, and that thread happens to go through a town that has a mob boss in it, okay, there's your second villain. Mm-hmm. It's clear that he is not part of the plot. But he may be in, he may get involved when he finds out about it because you're on his turf essentially, and he takes that person. Correct, yeah. and that's that's where you see that happen in a lot of TV shows. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Avatar did that exceptionally well. You know, where you had villains basically taking opportunities, or where you have historical things, um, uh, where you have maybe a player's rivalry step in mm-hmm. you know and 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 try and handle a situation and it basically becomes an extra obstacle to a relatively simple act that's yeah. about to happen like oh we're gonna break into that we're gonna go into this party we're literally gonna some of you guys are gonna make a distraction you know in the main part of the party and we're gonna go steal this object got it and then we're just out we're immediately gonna head for the ship sure great walk into the front door of the party everything seems to be going great the people who are about to make the distraction turn and in walks their rival sees them eye to eye and now the dance is on mm-hmm. and you're like are we leaving not yet why i gotta handle something no no you don't no you <laughs> don't. We, yep. we have to go that's the kind of stuff that you want you the, don't want them wondering if that person's involved the, the other the other one that i love is the side distraction that shows up is like in uh, the three musketeers d'artagnan you know that guy like he's not even tied into the main plot <laughs> he's literally just some jerk that shows up to complicate things you know yep yep 
Uh, all right, so, so we're wrapping up here. I think this is it. All right. This is good. Uh, so our next week's topic is going to be our system spotlight. It'll be the second Wednesday of the month. We're talking about the Alien RPG. Yes, the actual Alien RPG. Uh, so you so. can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave. You can find us on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And join us on our Discord. You can find that link on our Twitter, uh, as well as uh, our website, StorytellerConclave.com. Thank, we'd also like to thank our Patreon members, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion Veteran, and Hulavu. We really appreciate everything you do every month to help us and keep this going. Please join us up on that Patreon. Uh, we would love to have additional support so we can do more for the show. Our intro music, our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. Uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com uh, or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is only our footprints in the sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. A big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and Thank supporting you. us all Thank these you. years. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years to give these great stories to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you so much. Love you guys. Good night. Good night.